Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it is now the 27th day of December 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. Uh, If you celebrate Christmas, uh, I hope you've had a terrific Christmas. If you don't celebrate Christmas, then I hope... um, I still hope you had a good day. I mean, I'm not a monster. I'm I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a horrific human being. But uh, I'm I'm here. I'm doing my podcast this week as we wrap up 2016. Um, one of the things that's happened is the the Red Sox made the the postseason this year again uh, with a few players left over from the 2013 uh, Boston Strong Club, but. More and more, they're starting to go away, and we're starting to see a new team slowly emerge from it. One of the players from the Boston Strong, the 2013 world champion Red Sox, who has gone on to other pastures, is part of, it's kind of springboarding a little bit of what I'm going to be talking about on today's podcast. It was uh, Junichi Tozawa. Junichi Tozawa was brought to the Red Sox in 2008 to be a new stud pitcher, starting pitcher for the Red Sox. His career began uh, letting up a walk-off homer to Alex Rodriguez, and he made four starts and was not very good. And really, in 2009, didn't pitch for the Red Sox in 2010, didn't pitch for them, barely pitched for them in 2011, uh, but then emerged as a as a decent reliever in the disastrous 2012 season and was an effective reliever in 2013, uh, the year they they won the World Series. And had in 2013, 2014, for about two and a half seasons, he was uh, he was an adequate reliever. Well, not a stud, not a superstar, but you know, did his job. Did his job. He won a game out of the bullpen, which, of course, means borderline nothing to win a game out of the bullpen in the uh, league championship series. In the clinching game six, that was the game that, uh, uh, what's his name, the flying Hawaiian, Shane Victorino, hit the grand slam to give the Red Sox the lead and ultimately the pennant. He pitched two and a third, shut out innings, striking out three batters in the World Series. Uh, you know, it's, he pitched seven and a third innings out of the bullpen in 2013. He let up one run, he walked one, and struck out six. That's a good strikeout-to-walk ratio. Contributed to the Red Sox World Series championship. Not as much as his fellow countryman, uh, Koji Uehara, who has now left the team and gone to the collection of pitchers who have clinched the World Series, now pitching for the Chicago Cubs. But, hey, I, I want to tip my hat to... Uh, Junichi Tozawa for you know, participating, being a part of a world champion Red Sox team. He's off. He's going to go play in Miami. So thank you very much for being part of it. But I started thinking about something, as things like this tend to do to your pal Sully. The Red Sox had two players from Japan, two pitchers from Japan, in the 2013 World Championship. 
Koji Wahara, of course, became the superstar closer. We all remember him. He was the League Championship Series MVP and is, well, he's a beloved Red Sox for all time. And it seemed like, a, I've never met the guy, but he seemed like a super fun guy. It was so much fun watching him get saves. And Tazawa was a fine setup man. And I thought about the 2007 Red Sox. Well, 2007 Red Sox had Daisuke Matsuzaka. Now, Daisuke was not the great Nolan Ryan, Greg Maddox, bullish ace we thought we were getting. He had an adequate first year. He pitched very well his second year. People tend to forget that before kind of fading off. But to be fair, he contributed to a world championship with the Red Sox, as did Hideki Okajima, who was the left-handed setup man, who I think was brought in to make sure there was more than one Japanese player on the team. But Okajima wound up playing very, very well for the Red Sox and giving them the bullpen depth they desperately needed in 2007 in order to win the World Series. And last year was a year where Ichiro Suzuki got his 3,000th hit, and you know, not that there was any doubt that he was going to be in the Hall of Fame, but he's certainly has cemented his time in the Hall of Fame in, in Cooperstown, as it is right now. And I started thinking about something. You know, the doors that have opened to Asia have, you know, there have been players from Taiwan, there have been players from Korea, mainly there have been uh, players from Japan who have come over here. And some of them have had some, you know, there have been various, varying numbers of success. Now, uh, Masanori Mur uh, Murakami pitched in the 60s with San Francisco. And since then, there was been, there was virtually nobody, there was nobody to, from the major leagues until Hideo Nomo showed up in 1995. And, and man, let's not forget what a phenomenon that was when Hideo Nomo was pitching for Los Angeles in that rookie year. Uh, was it Fernando Mania? It was close because it brought a whole new audience to the game. Now, the, there was a mindset, and it sounds bizarre that this mindset existed, but there was a mindset that Japanese players couldn't make it in the major leagues. And then when Nomo showed up, it was like, okay, maybe the pitchers. Maybe you could be a pitcher, but you know what? The physicality of the players, the position players, you'll never see a position player make it in the major leagues. And then Ichiro arrived and brought his style of play, won the MVP. Whether or not you think he deserved the MVP, and statistically it probably should have been Jason Jambi, but I digress. He was tremendous when he showed up with Seattle, and he wound up having you know, a wonderful career, 3,000 hits and everything like that, and being one of the most fun and exciting players to watch in baseball for a stretch. And you saw there have been several players coming from Japan who are position players who have been able to, you know, some have been fine, some have been flops, and some have had a lot of success, like Hideki Matsui, who was the World Series MVP in 2009 and helped lead the Yankees to their last world championship. And if the Yankees had gotten that last out against the Red Sox 
in the 2004 League Championship Series, it would have been Matsui who won the MVP of that series because he absolutely decimated the Red Sox. He was a wonderful clutch hitter and seemed to fit in perfectly. He was with the Yankees for so long. Look, I never liked to see the Yankees win a World Series, but I'm glad that Matsui was able to get a ring with the Yankees because he seemed like a player who deserved it. He seemed to fit into that Joe Torre style perfectly. But you look around. Look around in the history of recent baseball, and you've seen there have been players like well, you Darvish, for example, uh, Max Suzuki. Remember Max Suzuki? Uh, you had uh, you had uh, Kazushihi. I'm probably butchering his name. Um, you had uh, you know, who was the you had who threw the no hitter for the uh, it was a Hisashi Iwakuma. You had you Darvish. You had, you know, uh, Shigatoshi Hasegawa made an all-star team. Uh, Takahashi Saito made an all-star team. Uh, you know, uh, the best pitcher for the Yankees right now is uh, Tanaka. And you've seen the uh, world champions like, you know, So Taguchi has two World Series rings, played with the uh, Cardinals in 06 and was part of the Phillies team in 2008. Tadahito Iguchi was the starting second baseman for the world champion Chicago White Sox in 2005. Uh, Shiyoshi Shinjo played in the 2002 World Series for the um, Giants. Nori Aoki uh, was a starter for the Royals in when they went to the World Series. When the Red Sox lost the 2008 League Championship Series, it was on a ground ball to, to uh, Iwamura, the Rays' second baseman. These are all players who have made it to the majors with varying, they're varying members of you know, levels of success that they've had over the years, and some have had tremendous success, and some have, you know, there have been the Keogawas, but and there have been some that have bombed out totally. Kosuke Fukudome was uh, not exactly a someone who burned up the league. But you saw, you could say that about any, any white players, black players, players from the Caribbean. Some players make it, some players don't. And you're seeing more and more players at least trying it. Taking a look and saying, hey, look it, if I'm going to play... I want to play on the highest stage and with the greatest competition. And we know that that's Major League Baseball. So if you are a Suzuki, if you are a Tanaka, you say, I want to see if I can win on that level. Now, I know I can win on the Japanese level. I want to win on that level. And something just beeped. I heard it. I'm not even going to edit that out. And what that got me thinking about is how we think about the days of segregation. When we think about baseball segregated, it, it tends to be black and white, literally. We tend to think about the African-American players who were forced to play in the Negro Leagues and play many times in the same stadiums as the white players, but never getting that chance until Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier and slowly but surely integration came about. So we tend to think about that when we think about 
Cool Papa Bell or Turkey Stearns or Ray Dandridge or Satchel Paige or Josh Gibson or Buck Leonard or Buck O'Neill for that matter, you know, Andrew Rube Foster and what he could have been. All these things, Oscar Charleston, we think in terms of Americans, black Americans, white Americans. Now you could also think about players from Cuba and from Mexico and from the Caribbean whose skin was too dark to play in baseball. And we start to think about when those players were excluded, what that meant for the quality of the game of baseball. What we don't tend to think about is Japan. What we don't tend to think about is the players from Japan who were not playing in the majors, that didn't get their chance in the major leagues, didn't get to be the Nomo, the Matsuis, or the Ichiro of their time. There's the legendary story of E.J. Sawamura, who was the pitching legend in Japan, who when baseball were doing their goodwill tour of Japan, struck out Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth, and he became a national hero for doing that. Well, Sawamura died when his uh, ship was torpedoed during World War II. But since World War II, when baseball really started to explode and emerge in Japan, the idea of players who were superstars in Japan, beloved in Japan, not playing on the major league level, makes me kind of sad. Because the thought process of what kept them out of the major leagues is not some fantasy that took place back in the 1940s. It isn't some black and white film of an event happening in the wake of World War II. No. It was happening in the 2000s. It was happening after the invention of MLB.com. That the mindset was, ah, you know, the Japanese players, you know, they're not, they're not really, they're not cut out for this. Ichiro said, really? Watch me. That was 2001. We had played an entire season in the 21st century, if you start the 21st century in the year 2000, which I do, and so should you, and still had that mentality. Who were the Ichiros? Beyond the Ichiros, who were the Tadahido Gucci's out there? Who were the players who were like, oh, they did a good job? The, Iwa, the Iwamura, the Hideki Okajimas of the world, the, the what's it called, the, the Shinjos of the world. You know, the idea of pitchers coming in was post-strike. That's in the past 21 years. And Nomo showed you can pitch at a major league level. You can throw two no-hitters. You can lead the league at strikeouts several times. Yu Darvish has shown that you can be an ace caliber pitcher. Iwakuma showed you could be a solid number three. Koji Iwahara showed you could be a difference-making closer. Now, which one of the players who are legendary in Japan never got that chance? Listen to some of these names. 
Have you ever heard of, let's just take, uh, um, what's it, let's take a name, uh, Yoshio Yoshinda. Do you know who he is? I don't. He's in the, ja- he's in the Japan Baseball Hall of Fame from 1992. I have no idea who he is. I don't know what position he plays. If you take uh, Makoto Kozuro from 1980, let's click on him. Let's see who he is. He was an outfielder, holds the Japanese record for most RBIs in a single season. Could he have played the major leagues? Would he have been a beloved member of the Brewers or of the Cardinals? I don't know. Neither do you. You don't know who some of these players are unless you are an astute student of the, the game in Japan. If I go to, who's, let's take a name here. Let's go to, um, if I can pronounce it, um, Shiguru Makino. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Japanese shortstop, second baseman, and coach. Played in the 50s, coached the the Yomiuri Giants in the 70s, was elected the the Japan Hall of Fame. Could some team in the 50s have used him in their infield? I don't know. We don't know because he was never given a shot. Hey, here's a name you probably have heard. You know, every once in a while there's a player who just absolutely transcends even the barriers of segregation. People knew who Satchel Paige was before integration. People knew who Josh Gibson was before integration. That's how big they were. And I'm a feeling that if I brought up Japanese baseballs, I don't know any name, I don't know any name, I bet you probably heard the name of Sadaharu O. O hit, what was it? He hit like 800 some odd home runs, 868 home runs, and was the guy in Japan, while Henry Aaron was smashing records in America, O was smashing records in Japan. Imagine, just imagine, O playing for a team in America. Would he have been able to beat Henry Aaron? Would he have been able to beat Babe Ruth? I don't know. Would he have been able to be a good, solid player? I'm guessing he would have. I'm guessing that if he had played in the major leagues, he would have been an effective major leaguer. How do I know that? The same reason that when we saw the Negro League stars come to, Ameri- come to the American League and the National League, we saw that they were able to be the, the best players stayed playing on an elite level. And you saw the likes of Ichiro and Hideki Matsui dominate their league, they came over to the United States and played at a high all-star level. So do I think O would have been an effective major leaguer? I actually don't have a doubt in my mind he would have. But the fact that it's a hypothetical situation that we'll never know, we'll never know if O was the beloved legend in Japan, if he would have been late, oh man, When you think about the greatest players in the history of the San Diego Padres, it's got to be Dave Winfield, it's got to be Tony Gwynn, it's got to be Sadaro O. I brought the Padres for a reason. I brought the Padres because they've never won a World Series. I bring up franchises that have never won a World Series, the Brewers, the Mariners, the Expos Nationals franchise.
the Astros, the Rangers. These are teams that have never won the World Series. And some of them have come darn close. Some of them have come very, very close, but they've never won the World Series. And when you think about a player out there who could have been inserted to your team, plucked them, put them in. Sadara O could have been a player on your team, and maybe that would have been the difference of a run here or a run there, a pennant here or a pennant there. An entire history of a team could have been changed. Would the Red Sox have won those two World Series without Daisuke Matsuzaka, without Hideki Okajima, without Koji Uehara, without uh, Tazawa? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but they did. Would the Yankees been able to win the 2009 World Series without uh, Hideki Matsui? I'm going to say no. Okay, maybe they could have found another outfielder on this side or the other thing, but the contributions that Matsui made were tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. So you look at the best players of that time in Japan, and I believe that they would have been able to contribute at a high level in the major leagues. But we'll never know. We will never know. And so when I think about segregation and integration, it isn't just a black and white issue. Sometimes it's an east and west issue. And if we had opened up the east a little earlier, who knows how things could have been different. One thing I do know is that the Red Sox have won a couple of World Series with some help from Japan. For that, I say gracias, because I, I can't speak any Japanese. Anyway, uh, go to SolidBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Celebrating the land of the rising sun. This has been the Solid Baseball Daily Podcast for the 27th day of December 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.